Now who is that? Excellence is hard. It's very rare, which is why there are very few good shows, and those that are good stand out. TV respects me. It laughed with me, not at me. <laughs> you stupid. <laughs> Don't! I think the sitcoms of the 80s... I love you guys. ...were such a sort of warm, safe humor. Uh -oh. You see, the kids, they listen to the rap music, which gives them the brain damage. And I think there was a real yearning for another type of humor. able to spoof fatherhood what a bad father which at the time and i stress at the time was bill cosby as the shining example Did you ever know that my stuff they got away with because it's a cartoon the father strangling the child are you little <laughs> <laughs> We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. Huh? We go to a completely bizarre period of time in 1992 when a sitting president is raging against a sitcom. They have dealt with politics, they've dealt with popular culture, they've dealt with all kinds of issues of racism, of sexism. Don't ask me. Say it, sister. It's not funny, Bart. Millions of girls will grow up thinking that this is the right way to act. They have found a way to talk about everything that's going on in our lives through the filter of the Simpsons. Them immigrants, they want all the benefits of living in Springfield, but they ain't even bothered to learn themselves the language. Yeah, those are exactly my sentimonies. Yeah, well, what a I think one of the governing things that's happening with The Simpsons is a distrust of anyone who tells us that we should trust them and doesn't earn that trust. Oh, and uh, I'll take that Statue of Justice, too. Sold. And when they make fun of how Fox works. You are watching Fox. We are watching Fox. They're telling you, don't trust us either. Eat my shorts. All right, I'll eat, eat your shorts. The Simpsons is like Shakespeare in the sense that we quote The Simpsons all the time, very often without even knowing it. Excellent. I wish I could create something that culturally indelible. It's unlike anything else TV's ever wrought. Twin Peaks showed up out of nowhere at the beginning of the decade, and the pilot episode of that was one of the strangest and most exciting things I've ever seen. Diane. I'm at the Twin Peaks County Moor with the body of the victim. What's her name? It was incredible. I mean, just how slowly in the beginning the news spread around this little town that this young, beautiful girl had died. And that haunting music was so dark and so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, 
What on earth is essentially a art film doing in primetime television? American network television has long been considered the home of the bland, the cautious, and the predictable. So it was with some trepidation that the ABC network recently launched a new series that was none of those things. Twin Peaks has already been described by one critic as the series that will change TV. It's directed by David Lynch. David Lynch was a filmmaker known for his taste in the eccentric and memorable. The idea that he would do network television in the 90s was crazy. Do you watch much of it? Well, I, I, I like uh, the idea of television, but I'm too busy to see very much of it. And I, what do you think of that which you do see on television? Well, um, some of it I, you know, I really uh, enjoy. Are you being diplomatic? Sort of. <laughs> the beautiful thing about television is you have uh, the chance to do a continuing story. And that's the main reason, you know, for doing it. I think that Twin Peaks, with the initial attention that it got, allowed all the other networks to say, let's do something different. The day's coming, and it ain't going to be long when you ain't going to have to leave your living room. No more schools, no more bodegas, no more tabernacles, no more cineplexes, all right? You're going to snuggle up to your fiber optics, baby, and bliss out. You could sense these successful creators trying to see how they could do things different than they'd done five or ten years ago. Sometimes that led to really challenging network television that was cool and fun to watch, and sometimes it just seemed to fall off the edge a little bit. At the time, Stephen Bochco was a very successful producer of our dramas and wanted to try something brand new. This is the police! We have a warrant for your arrest! And so his idea was to combine a gritty cop show with a Broadway musical. I saw one in which a bunch of gangbangers were in jail and they began to sing. Life in the hood ain't no pizza pie. Everybody die when the bullets fly. Life in the hood ain't no pizza pie. Anybody can die when the bullets fly. And I'm saying, wait a minute, hold on, wait a minute. I thought, well, this is it. This is going to be great. This is going to be as innovative as anything I've ever done. He's guilty, judge, he's guilty. You could see it in his eyes. He did the crime and now he's got a pain. <laughs> I mean, it just, it circled the drain. I'm creatively proud of it, still. You know, I'm very glad we tried it. Uh, I don't think I'd want to do it again. The following movie is rated R. In 1990-91, there was not a whole lot of original programming for cable, but they were airing movies. So we needed to compete, and I felt that if we didn't, we were going to, you know, kind of get swept out. And so I came up with the notion of doing a cop show that was R-rated. When ABC's broadcast standards read our script, they went berserk. 
I was sitting with a pad and a pencil drawing pictures of breasts to try to show them what, what we would show and what we wouldn't show. Grown-ups sitting in a room, you know, doodling. Then we started on the language. We heard some reporter called the low-life asshole third pimp with the brains of a flea and the balls of a moth. The program premiered with an advertising boycott. But it was such an immediate hit, that boycott lasted, oh, four weeks. They could use the nudity and the curse words to go deeper into the actual emotional burden of being a cop. I'm an asshole. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an asshole. And it had this character, Andy Sipowitz. He is raging alcoholic, racist, sexist, violent. He created the TV anti-hero. You know, I know that great the African-American George Washington Carver discovered the peanut, but can you provide names and addresses of these friends? You know, you're a racist scumbag. Despite his flaws, despite his prejudices, I think people identified with his pain. I wish there was a way to say this that wouldn't hurt you, Mr. Wentz. There's a famous early episode where they're investigating the rape and murder of a young boy, and they find a homeless child molester who murdered the kid, and Sipowitz, to get the confession, has to be, like, very sensitive and very good cop. I know this has got to be tearing you up inside. But you're going to feel a lot better if you just tell the truth. You can sort of see on Dennis Franz's face, this is killing him to not, like, destroy this guy right now. And finally, he, he gets the confession, he gets a signed statement. He walks out of the room, he goes to another interrogation room, and he breaks the door in two with his fists. <laughs> I'm choking up talking about it right now because, like, that's how great a moment of TV that it is. 20 years from now, the best TV dramas, what do they look like? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know will whether... Will they be bolder than what we see today? Oh, assuredly. Assuredly, they will be. The 90s gave us several shows that didn't really explode in the ratings but were very influential to other people making television. Homicide is one of them. Kill me with questions all night. I'm living in a danger zone. Homicide Life on the Street was really innovative in terms of its style. It used music in ways that advanced the narrative. And it also used feature film directors that brought a look and style to the show that really stood out on television. Tears coming out of your eyes. There ain't no tears coming from my eyes. His eyes are brimming with tears. They had so many African-American characters in the cast that on several occasions, they were the only people on camera interacting with one another. And that sounds like so, but as late as the 90s, that wasn't done on television. When a cop shoots somebody, he stands by it. He picks up the radio mic and he calls it in. He stands by the body. If not, cops are no better than anybody else. In the 90s, television was getting more complicated Stories were starting to become more episodic. Characters were starting to develop and change. None of that happened on Law & Order. This was a show that completely delivered on its formula every time. You get a crime. You got the investigation into the crime. You better be packing more than a dirty mouth. You got an arrest. What's the judge? Hey, I'm asking you a question. What's the judge? Oh, there's no charge. This one's on us. And then you had a trial. He's badgering, Your Honor. Sit down and shut up, Mr. Feynman. Overruled. And you will address the court from now on, Mr. McCoy. And so every time you watched, you got what you came for. Tell me, Doctor, 
All those women you ran through your examination rooms? Do you remember their faces, or did you not even bother to look up? You had in Law and Order the kinds of characters that people take to heart. I'll let you take me lunch. One time offer. And if you're an actor and you say, well, gee, you know, maybe, maybe it's not really such a bad medium after all. Miranda, Bartolomeo, the Supreme Court's Minnick decision, the whole thing's illegally obtained. They were both represented by counsel. You just get hooked in. It's life and death and stuff. We know what you did. Counsel! Okay, you hear me, Ryan? Counsel! Do you hear me, Law and order was like crack. You'd have to sit and watch me for 50 minutes, just like not moving, barely breathing. There are times I've almost passed out watching Law and Order. He, he gotta get over here. I need your help. The ER had originally been written as a movie for Steven Spielberg to direct. And so we had this two-hour piece, which was a reflection of, of Michael's experiences as a medical student. Use an angiocath with a 16 needle. You need a large bore in case they're bleeding and you need to transfuse them. Do you know how to start an IV? Uh, actually, no. ER is a hospital show, but it's really an action movie. Ah! Green walking wounded, yellow urgent, red critical, and black healing. Got it, got it. Gurney comes in, people are shouting instructions, climbing up onto the body and, like, doing CPR, and suddenly they're racing off to the surgical suite. Get that Gurney out of there! Someone wanders in, they're tossing around medical jargon. CPC type and hold two units. They don't stop to explain what it is. You prep for a peritoneal lavage. I think I know what that is now, but only because I watched a lot of ER over the years. Need a plural lavage? You could try, but I don't think his heart would take it. We bypass him and warm his blood directly. That'd be the fastest way. What do you think? You're the attending. There was so much information coming at you that I think it made the experience feel as if you had to watch it in the same way that you would watch a film, that you had to stay involved in it the whole time. Come on, Ben, you can make... Hold on, buddy. Hold on. There was a lot of research that said that people didn't want to watch anybody have anything other than a happy outcome. It's not flatline. It's fine V-fib. Another seven makes happy. Well, we argued that that wasn't really showing what the world was for physicians. I had unbelievable amount of respect for the people who did this because I understood how human they were. Can you sing the um, theme song from Cheers? Cheers, yeah. How does it start? Making your way in the world today. <laughs> go ahead, that. go that ahead, so go boring. ahead, come on. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's cute. Come on, okay. just sing it. Takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure can help a lot. Put your life to get away. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. We decided to end Cheers in the 11th year. Over 93 million people watch the finale of Cheers. But it's a sad experience for everybody. This was our baby for 11 years, and we're not going to be around these people every day. You people are as dear to me as my own family. We had been serving fake suds forever. It was time for everybody to sip. In fact, I was sipping along with them. And time goes by so fast. People move in and out of your life. You must never miss an opportunity to tell these people 
how much they mean to you. We had been through so much together. You spend that much time with a, a, the same set of people. It does become your family. I feel pretty lucky to have the friends I do. I think the legacy of Cheers is our need to belong. And I think that's what we as Americans are longing for. Thank you, guys. The final scene of Cheers was really, what was Sam's real first love? You can never be unfaithful to your one true love. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch on earth. And his real first love was the bar. Sorry, we're closed. How big a loss is this for NBC anyway? Well, Katie, I'm still here, and I'm waiting for the cast members to come back, so okay. I'd say it's a pretty big loss. Out of the sad, sad sorrow and being scared to death that I would very quickly lose my job, I was like, what are we going to do? TV is changing dramatically now with the 150 channels that might be available in the near future. There are more choices than ever before, and it's a tough job. You, you have to try and get a sense of what is the audience going to really make an attachment to. In the 90s, cable was coming on strong. So we had to examine who are we going to be. Well, we wanted to be smart, sophisticated comedy. Six months ago, I was living in Boston. My wife had left me, which was very painful. Then she came back to me, which was excruciating. Well, you know, I thought Frazier was dead with cheers. <laughs> but what we thought, we got a built-in audience and great potential for, you know, building out the character to another place. No! Frazier was kind of like one-act plays. and I moved here when I was a small boy after the tragic death of my father. I kept the pain of that loss buried deep within me like a serpent coiled within a damp cave. Okay, that's it. We always assumed the audience was smarter than most other people did, and we played to that. She is just unschooled like Liza Doolittle. I'll be fine to the right Henry Higgins. She'll be ready for a ball in no time. Leave it to you to put the pig back in Pygmalion. Thank you. Kelsey Grammer played pomposity like nobody you've ever seen and got huge laughs. So consider the move until my fingers have completely cleared the piece. Well, what's taking so long? I am analyzing my options. Unlike your winged approach, I like to plan a strategy, like a general leading his troops into battle. <laughs> Check my Schwarzkopf. I think Frasier probably stands as the single most successful spin-off, at least in the history of sitcoms. And the Emmy goes to... Frasier! 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 At the height of must-see TV, Thursday nights on NBC, 75 million Americans watched Thursday night. That was, at the time, one-third of the country. Ooh! What is this stuff? The sweater is Angora. Well, it's wonderful. The machine that was NBC in the 90s for comedy was untouchable. You're not from around here, are you? It generated so much viewership and money and 
awards. We do not need this. It's the top of our wedding cake. We're not, it, this, it, it's not a scrapbook, it's a freezer. No. We certainly associate NBC of the 90s with having extremely successful sitcoms, but they weren't the only network that found their way to having some success. TGIF was on ABC on Friday, and it was their block of family-oriented comedies. I can't take it. I need the cake. <laughs> it was not sophisticated television, but these were shows that people adored. <laughs> CBS. CBS was in a really bad spot. They had just fallen apart over the early part of the 90s, and they'd gone through a couple different network executives. Then suddenly they had this hit with an unknown comic. This was the year of Seinfeld, no hugging, no learning. And this was a show being made as if it was produced in the year of the Dick Van Dyke show. I love you. There was hugging, there was learning. I love you, son. If you worked for me, your job was to go home, get in a fight with your wife, and come back in and tell me about it. Don't sleep on the couch. I just cleaned down there. In fact, the pilot. I put in this true thing that happened to me, wherein I sent my parents a gift for the holidays of the Fruit of the Month Club. And did you know you sent me a box of pears? Yeah, yeah. From a place called Fruit of the Month? That's right, that's right. How are they? And my mother reacted as if I had sent her a box of heads from a murderer. Why did you oh, do this to me? Oh, I can't talk to you, it's Fruit of the Month! Oh. What do you think we are, invalids? We can't go out and get our own fruit? I'm trying to tell them. All right, I'm canceling the fruit club. The real story is where the real connection with your audience is. Thank God. All your families are crazy, too. Looks like you got the whole family together. Yeah, yeah, it's dysfunction palooza. A new era of technology and competition is forcing network news operations to re-examine the way they do business. New owners spent billions buying the networks recently. GE buying NBC, Capital Cities, ABC, and Lowe's Tish Brothers buying CBS. And all of them want their money's worth. We'll now have the strongest network. We'll have a stronger defense piece. This is going to be one dynamite company. There's a danger that news will be mixed up with the rest of television and considered just another profit center. Late 1920s, early 1930s to the early 1980s, the sense was we'll give some of the broadcasting time to public service. But in the 1990s, journalism in the country changed a great deal. You couldn't talk about public service. It was what are the ratings going to be? What are the demographics going to be? What is the profit going to be? Well, Sensationalism sells. In a plea bargain, 18-year-old Amy Fisher got up to 15 years in prison for shooting the wife of her alleged lover. So intense is the interest in this case that there are three, three made-for-TV movies now in the works about it. You make money off sex, you make money off death, you make money off crime. The press calls the case the Beverly Hills Mansion Murders, and the story reads like one of the unsold scripts that circulate here in Hollywood. We enter into the world of the television news soap opera. A story of basic instincts, anger and fear. I was scared, and uh, 
I just wanted him to leave me alone. And so broadcast journalism loses its purity and it becomes much more shoddy, sensationalistic. And then it all comes together with O.J. Simpson. I'm Larry Carroll in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles County District Attorney has just filed murder charges against Arenthal James O.J. Simpson. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to interrupt this call. I understand we, we're going to go to a live picture in Los Angeles. Police believe that, that O.J. Simpson is in that car. The O.J. Simpson story starts with the chase and then goes on to his arrest and then culminates with the trial, which goes on and on and on and is televised day after day after day. This is going to be a long trial. There's a lot of evidence to come in. The O.J. Simpson case was such a national phenomenon that those of us who were covering it just lived this case 24 hours a day because there was so much demand for people talking about it. As Simpson struggled to slide the gloves onto his hands, and turned toward jurors saying, they're too small. Prosecutors were incensed. The trial was on television during the hours that had traditionally been the time for soap operas. He appears to have pulled the gloves on, counsel. And O.J. was very much a soap opera. He's impeached by his own witness. I ask that you put a stop to it. Either put Cordoba on the Excuse stand me, Mr. Bailey. Stop her from Stand telling. up and speak when it's your turn. No question that the best TV show of the 90s was the O.J. Simpson trial, and everybody on it was riveting. NBC News In-Depth tonight, the Simpson trial finally winding to a close. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A. The verdict of the O.J. Simpson trial viewed by 150 million people. It's more people than watch presidential election returns. That's crazy. Because there was trial footage every day, CNN saw its audience increase like five times. The success of CNN was not lost on other people. And so there were competing forces coming into play. How delighted I am that we've now reached this moment when we can firmly announce uh, the starting of a Fox News channel. Unfortunately, with, with cable news and the ability or the need to be on the air 24-7, where you're trying to get as many eyeballs as possible at one time, to gravitate toward those stories that are sensational, you know, it brought us the ability to go too far. Is the Jean Benet Ramsey murder investigation turning into a media circus? Yes, it's tabloid, but on the other hand, it's a tabloid era. And here's the point. Here's where the fear comes into it, I think, Larry. It's the fear that says, gosh, if we don't cover it big time, our competition is. And when they cover it big time, they're going to get a big jump in the ratings. And the first thing is to last. If we're going to last, if we're going to survive, we've got to do it. What you also see is a whole army of commentators, people who make their business talking about the news. What I say is what we should do is we should bomb his capability of producing oil. Take out his refineries, his stations, his wells. They don't wells. have any capability of producing oil. Well, they're certainly oil. selling a lot of oil no, to the... The networks were doing good journalism, but they became much more preoccupied by profits. It's much cheaper to have someone in your studio pontificating uh, than to have reporters out in the field reporting. I don't know if any of this is true, but what I've heard is that the father went down, uh, opened this basement room, which the FBI had bypassed. 
every single sentence on on CNN, perhaps on CNBC, on Fox, on MSNBC, begins with the words, I think. But after a while, people get confused by what is speculation, by what is innuendo, by what is fact. And as far as the viewer is concerned, be very, very careful of unsubstantiated information presented with great hype. In the mid-1990s, if you took a look at the list of the 50 most-watched shows on cable, the top would be Nickelodeon, Rugrats, Blue's Clues. Don't you know cartoons will ruin your mind? Ren and Stimpy had some very surreal, high-concept humor to it. And this is the beginning of the splintering of the television audience and the splintering of the family audience, really. I mean, because with families having three or four TVs in the house, you had a kid watching Nickelodeon, you had the dad watching ESPN Sports, you had the mom watching Lifetime. You know, they were in their own separate universes watching television. By the time of the 90s, MTV wasn't merely a music channel. They were having great success in terms of creating shows that incorporated music, but that also were shows and programs that stood on their own. Yes! <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> Certainly Beavis and Butthead sort of established what MTV could be because the show was about people making fun of music videos, just like people in the audience were doing. Whoa. Check out his neck. Yeah. Just like all these bones and stitches moving around. Yeah. My manager would call me like, hey, you got this big bump as you were on Beavis and Butthead last night. I sit there just like a donut watching these guys. <laughs> now, for and, and I find them endlessly entertaining because I know, and you know, and the world knows, these guys are, always will be, and cannot be anything but idiots. That's right. MTV has a detrimental, damaging, developmental effect on the sexuality, on the morality, on the spirituality, on the maybe even the physical development of our young people. Now we hit the 90s, and once you can go for an audience of 5 million and have a successful show, you can say, I don't care if the parents don't like this.